Welcome to season three of Been There, Done That, a pandemic survival podcast. I'm your host, Felicia Perez, and in this show, we'll be talking to some real life experts on how to get through this time filled with unexpected changes, challenges, and feelings of hopelessness. And those experts are everyday people like you and me. Turns out we may be more prepared for this than we realize. So let's get started and see what we can relearn. So today, uh, now, this episode, we are, you know, again, returning to our wonderful 30 folks who are with us on this journey. And um, this is season three already, earlier than anticipated. The season was supposed to be about you, uh, Ivy, coming to us from Kentucky, um, thinking about in like 20 years, if they made uh, a film or wrote a book or made a comic series or there was an album or a song or something, um, you know, cultural storytelling about this time was made and um, it featured you and your family and your partner and your community at the center of the story, what would the story, album, comic, movie, TV uh, series be called? And what visual would be on like the cover of that book or the you know poster or promotion uh, for that movie or, or series, right? That is what season three is about. And that still is what it's about and more. Um, and so, if you can think about that, Ivy, in the context of what's been happening the last few days, today is May 29th, uh, 2020. Um, how are you doing? What are your initial thoughts on, on that look back? What, what would that be called? And what would you uh, be doing? Well, um, I think how I'm doing is the hardest question right now. I feel like every call that I'm on, every time that I'm talking to someone or interacting with someone in some way, they ask me, how am I, how am I doing? And I, I never really know what to say. I feel, um, I feel a lot of different things. And mostly the response I give is that I'm hanging in there. Um, like, I got another one for you. I got another one for you. Yeah. <laughs> I welcome it. <laughs> okay. Okay. I want you to think about your body from the top of your head to the bottom of your feet and the tips of your fingers. Where are you having strong feelings right now? Where are there sensations and why do you believe that is so? Well, right now, I think I'm feeling this sort of burning in the pit of my stomach and also right in the middle of my chest. And I think, I think that is coming from this current moment within a moment that we're living through, which is this continued police killings of black and brown people across the country. Um, and also in Kentucky, just this backlash that we've been seeing uh, against the stay at home orders and against the governor's um, mandates about wearing masks in public and things like that. And those protests really are rooted in white nationalist sentiment. And so I'm just feeling especially this over this past weekend, I'm feeling a lot of um, grief and I'm feeling a lot of anger and I'm feeling a lot of frustration, I think with what I'm seeing that's happening locally, but also nationally. Are you alone in those feelings in Kentucky? Definitely not, definitely not. Um, I think a lot of folks that I know and am friends with are feeling similarly. Um, I have a friend who was documenting the most recent protest in Frankfurt, our state capital, um, where they hung an effigy of our governor with uh, the words that John Wilkes Booth said before he assassinated President Lincoln, uh, taped on the back, at, right outside of his home. And What are those words, if you don't mind? Oh, I don't. 
remember. <laughs> it's like um, there were the Latin words that he said, and I, mm. I can't remember now what the phrase is, but that's definitely what it was. Um, mm-hmm. And they did this outside of his home and, you know, marched up to the porch of his house and yelled for him to come out. And it, and it just is like, so much to deal with. And, and, and my friend who is documenting this is a black man. And he, all of the things that he was feeling in that moment of being there as a photojournalist to document this, just like, I just can't even imagine. And, you know, he's spoken with me and others about it since then. And it's just, it was just a lot. It was just a lot for him to carry. And then that happened before, um, it happened after Breonna Taylor was murdered in Louisville, but it happened before uh, George Floyd was murdered in Minneapolis and also before um, Christian Cooper in uh, New York city. And so all of these things are just sort of like rolling together in one here in Kentucky. And I think a lot of folks are feeling that very intensely and are angry and frustrated and feeling helpless and hopeless and not knowing what to do. I found the phrase, the phrase mm. translated from Latin. It's actually originally attributed to um, uh, Marcus Brutus, who's one of the people who assassinated Julius Caesar. Mm. And the phrase translates to thus always to tyrants. Yeah. So protesters hung this effigy of the governor of Kentucky and put it in front of his house with the phrase thus unto tyrants calling folks who are asking folks to stay home and put on masks for the safety of others those folks are calling those individuals who are trying to care for people tyrants yes exactly can you tell us a little bit more about what you know um, about brianna's murder in kentucky yeah um so brianna was an emt Um, she spent her life saving lives of others and trying to save lives of others. Um, and she was at home in her house and the police, uh, bust down her door and came in and shot her in her home. And they did that because, um, they were executing a search warrant, but they were at the wrong house to execute that search warrant. Um, and, and I don't know much about whether or not that search warrant was um, uh, real, I guess, is the best word right. I'm coming or, up or with. Correctly. Um, <laughs> right, so, right, you know, exactly. your presence, and it's been right. debated whether or not the police officers really did announce their presence. From what I understand, right. this happened really early in the morning. Uh, right. Brianna and, her, and her, her partner or, or boyfriend were, were asleep in bed. So yeah. how are you responsible uh, as an individual asleep in your own home? Uh, exactly. You are responsible for being able to hear whether or not um, a search warrant is being executed uh, properly. Um, right. And unlike the other murders that have happened or come to surface, um, during this uh, pandemic time, there is no video from a bystander, uh, right. a potential, um, you know, accomplice, um, or from the individuals themselves, the victims of what happened. Uh, what mm-hmm. we do have and has been circulating is a recording of the 911 phone call that her boyfriend made to get help where he utters um, not a direct quote, um, please help somebody broke into um, our house and shot my girlfriend. Um, And so, you know, um, we don't have the visual, we just have the sound. Do you think that there's a difference between the impact of a recording to the police versus a video? Yeah. Yeah, I think so. I think a video, you see someone's face, you see their reaction. It's a lot different to have that visual than to just have the audio, even though the audio is still very upsetting and very troubling. Uh, having that added video is is oftentimes more impactful in terms of uh, 
action that is taken against the police who who perpetrate who who commit the murder yeah yeah i mean i think what's interesting is that uh with um george floyd in minnesota um you know protests were were beginning and things really took a turn in many ways for a variety of reasons but one of them being that additional video footage came right. out, um, security camera footage from different businesses around where he was murdered, um, offered up, gave up, shared um, their videos uh, with police and news to continue to tell different parts of the story from different right. angles and different time periods so that there's as much of a complete story as possible. Much of that video doesn't have sound. So the absence of sound means that we don't hear what is being said or exchanged either during some of the extended footage. And I guess what I'm wondering is, what is your opinion about all these security cameras <laughs> out in public yeah. that are now also um, sort of the um, you know act of safety for folks on the street, including our cell phones. Like our cell phones are now a weapon of protection. Yeah. What's going on then with these security cameras that are also dipping their toes in this as a possibility? It feels very confusing in terms of surveillance. Yeah, I mean, I think I feel very confused. Um, I think it's just really complex. You know, it's like on the one hand, I think, well, thank God, thank God there's this extra evidence there because apparently it takes tons and tons of evidence in order for something to be done and for someone to be held accountable in these instances. And also increased surveillance makes me very nervous. It just makes me incredibly nervous. You know, we've all seen the sci-fi apocalyptic futuristic movies where, you know, increased surveillance is used against the people. And I don't think that's too far out of the realm of possibility to be a reality. I mean, I think it's already happened, right? It's happened in other countries where surveillance has been used against the people. Um, and I don't think that is impossible here. Um, and then on the other side, just as I said, it's, it can be used to hold people accountable because, you know, if you have that video footage, it's a whole lot harder to refute that than it is to refute an audio recording or a secondhand story or a, or a firsthand story yeah. without any kind of visual evidence. Have you, um, have you seen the videos um, out of Minnesota of folks capturing uh, individuals wearing all black, uh, protecting their identity and being responsible for a lot of the vandalism um, that and fires um, that were started initially. Um, and it turns out family and friends of those individuals turned them in and they are mm. police officers mm. of the Minnesota Police Department. And wow, again, I hadn't heard that. Again, laughing, not because this is funny, but because it's yeah. outrageous. Right. Um, and um, wondering, you know, there was a conversation a few years back um, under a different administration about mandating police officers to have cameras on their bodies, body cams. Right. Um, I don't know that asking the police to police themselves is um, the answer. Um, what are the demands that you're hearing from folks in Kentucky in terms of what community members are demanding changes um, in order to keep everyone in Kentucky safe? I'm seeing a lot of calls for defunding the police um, or at the very least cutting their budgets pretty significantly and then redistributing that money into black communities that need it. Um, I've seen that. Uh, and I, and that's, that I think is like a constant call for people in Kentucky um, when things like this happen, but just in general, it's just like a cut those budgets and put that money where it's needed into housing, into infrastructure, et cetera. Um, I'm also seeing, um, just lost my train of thought, but um, <clears throat> seeing a lot of things about, you know, we don't, we don't even need 
police. We don't need police forces in our communities. Uh, what is the purpose of police in our communities? Just a lot of questioning around, um, is it even necessary to have highly militarized groups of individuals, uh, you know, where some of those individuals, not all, but some are extremely violent people and racist people, um, overtly racist people. Um, you know, people are, are asking these questions of like, is that necessary? Do we need these people patrolling our neighborhoods, uh, being, being a danger to our neighbors on a daily basis? Um, and I'm also seeing things about the accountability side of this. And, um, you know, the, uh, often when these things happen, one of the chorus calls is, well, it's just a few bad apples. It's not an entire right. police force and, right. you know, all police aren't bad or whatever. Um, but what I'm seeing now is this um, realization that, yeah, but, you know, if you have uh, a few bad apples, why is nobody doing anything about those few bad apples? You know, if it, if it is going to, if their actions are going to make your reputation and your credibility as a professional put that into jeopardy and put that into question, then why are you not dealing with this problem of people who are going to to do that, to jeopardize your credibility? Um, so I think, I think what I'm seeing is just a lot of realization from people that this is an issue that needs to be dealt with right now and we need to figure out how we're going to hold people accountable and is it even something that we need do we even need these police forces in our communities it's so interesting to me how there is a regular almost tactical or strategic way in which people put the burden of accountability on individuals yeah. And put the burden of safety on individuals and not on systems and yep. systemic uh, institutions um, that create those things. And yet sometimes we do, you know, so you've got a situation where you have conservatives who say, well, I'm not big government. You know, I'm, I'm small government. I believe in states' rights. And really what we're seeing right now with different states having that backlash that you were referring to, um, where the governors are being threatened with violence, where, um, you know, state offices and buildings are being taken over by militia, white supremacist militia, yep. Um, yep. who front as just being about the Second Amendment, which none of that is, this is none, sheltering in place and wearing a mask has nothing to do with a gun, but they're showing up. Um, in mass numbers with uh, AK-47s. And, and I even saw a picture where somebody had a bazooka because that's going to help the pandemic. Um, <laughs> and, you know, they believe not just in states' rights. No, no, they believe in individual rights. You can't yeah. tell me that I have to wear a mask. You can't tell me that, right? And yet, that's what we're trying to say about these individual bad apples uh, you know, there's when the whole institution and the whole group is being held accountable, there's this moment of, it wasn't me, it's, it's only that one, that only that one over there. And yet right. that one over there is the one who wants all the freedom to be able yeah. to do what they want to do. And, <laughs> and it seems incredibly contradictory to me that you don't believe in larger institutions having rights versus you when it's convenient. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, I, I used to be an educator um, in the second largest district in the country, um, and thousands and thousands of employees, and we had and still have some bad apples. They yeah. are definitely <laughs> spoiling the bunch, and they hurt the credibility of the profession being a professional profession they contradict the um, amount of time and energy and degrees that we have to get in order to be trained and become skilled in the profession. And so when we hear 
which when I was a teacher, there were three different incidents in those 12 years where amongst thousands, amongst over 50,000 teachers, three individuals would be arrested. Um, mm. Coaches, high school coaches um, involved in relationships with students on a sports team, um, mm. uh, high school or actually middle school uh, teachers having uh, affairs um, with students. Um, and then uh, I also remember a horrific case where an elementary school teacher um, was uh, accused of molesting hundreds of elementary mm. school children. These were horrific instances, horrific cases. And as an avid, you know, union uh, member, supporter, and leader, all we asked for was due process because that's what we had fought so hard for in our contract, due process. Because we didn't want anyone in our ranks to be accused of something for political reasons to oust them from the profession because they were just being politically active, not actually harming individual children. But that's as far as we go. Supporting due process, defending due process, not mm -hmm. the actions and definitely not the individual because we need to uphold the vision and mission of our work. Yeah. For medical individuals, EMTs, nurses, doctors, nurses and doctors take vows, um, you know, uh, codes, if you will, raising their hands, right? Um, talking about do no harm. Mm -hmm. EMT, I'm not so sure if they have to go as far as taking the uh, Hippocratic Oath, uh, which ends uh, and somewhere in it really in the capsule, do no harm is the Hippocratic Oath. Um, <laughs> But the medical profession is about that. The police are supposedly protect and serve. What do you think, um, what do you think it means right now that an individual who is an EMT out there saving lives and transporting folks who are trying to fight for their lives is shot and murdered in her home in the middle of the night? What multiple kinds of effects is that having right now, both in Kentucky and in the country in the middle of this pandemic? Oh, that's a big question. <laughs> I don't think, I don't think we've had time to stop and think about it. Honestly, I think there, it's been one incident right after another. And I think it's just been, it's been too much for us to sit down and process what it means um, I mean, I think it, it obviously shows a breakdown in, um, the systems, uh, protect and serve, as you said. I mean, that's, that's what police officers say they're going to do. Um, somewhere along the line though, I think that idea of protect and serve gets warped by, by what, not only individuals' experiences are and beliefs are, but by what that institution's beliefs are and the stories that they're telling to their officers about the community in which they are supposed to protect and serve. Uh, and I think those stories that they hold and that they're told really are powerful. I mean, you and I both know as storytellers, how powerful those stories are and how much power they hold. Um, so I think it, I think there's like a lot of that going on that these, these stories are just influencing people in really, really terrible ways. Um, yeah. I think, I think there's a lot, I think there's a lot there. I think it's just yeah. like, I mean, I know I haven't had time to process no, what that, that means. Is, that, is, that is an important <laughs> point. That is an important point. I, I wonder, um, you know, people have often pointed to um, why the police were initially created, like what's their history and yeah. therefore how can that then sort of explain the legacy that we are living in right now? And it was about protecting property. Yeah. And it was about serving the property owners. And the property initially at that time were people, slaves, right. you know, protecting that property from being stolen 
or from freeing itself, liberating itself, um, and serving those who owned them, owned land, and essentially owned the police. Yeah. And so you said recently, um, just a minute or two ago, that people are, are not only asking for defunding, withdrawing money, boycotting, if you will, um, not my tax dollars, like my tax dollars will not be used for this um, of police departments and putting that money elsewhere. And you also mentioned that there's folks maybe questioning and wondering, do we actually need the police? If we were to have something different than the police, what would it be grounded in? What would it be protecting? What would it be serving? What kind of care would it be grounded in providing in order for it to continue to evolve and have its own legacy of sorts? What, is, what exactly is it that we need that we're not getting? I think what we need that we're not getting is a real sense of community connectedness. I think that we are at a point in time where people do not feel like their own um, their own livelihood, their own life, their own um, way of being is in any way connected to the people just outside their front door. Um, and I think that if we were to not have police forces um, and not have uh, that institution, that what we would then need is some way to care for the community as a whole that wasn't about protecting property above lives, um, that wasn't about uh, punitive measures, but that was more about healing and how do we, um, how do we as a community come together to take care of each other rather than how do we distance ourselves from each other and how do we separate ourselves from each other? Um, I think th there's this um, podcast that I've been listening to. It's called Seen on Radio um, and they pick a different topic every season. In this most recent season, they're talking about democracy and um, American democracy in particular and whether or not it's, it actually is what it says it is. Right. Right. <laughs> um, and, and in one of the very first episodes, they talk about this notion that, you know, people say, well, we, ha we have this and like, we have no other option. What is our other option besides this way of democracy we have, yeah, you know? The, the acronym <laughs> of TINA, T-I-N-A. That's right. There is no alternative. Mm -hmm. That's right. Yeah. Um, so there's, they're exploring that and they're saying, well, is that really true? And they go back to Native American cultures in this country that were matriarchal, um, that were, um, they had elder councils and the elder councils dealt with whatever issue the, the community, the tribe wanted to deal with at the time. If they were gonna go to war with another tribe, for instance, it was brought to this elder council and the entire tribe and community came together to discuss that issue and decide whether or not that's something they wanted to do. And if it wasn't, if just one person dissented from, from the oldest to the youngest, it didn't matter, then they wouldn't do it. And so I, I think about that a lot when we think about things like, what would we do if we, if we, this idea that like there is no alternative to having a police force, but maybe there is, and maybe it looks something like that where um, we have these, these community councils that bring the community together to make these decisions about how we, how we protect ourselves and where our money goes, um, what we, uh, what we choose to care about and what we choose to invest our time and effort into. Um, it's like people have this idea that, well, the police have always existed. Right. Therefore, the absence of them, well, what would that even look like? You know, and, and what you're sharing is from this, you know, this other podcast that they're talking about, you know, there was a time before. Right, exactly. We could learn a lot. <laughs> we could learn a lot from the past if we just actually talked about it. Right. Um, and, uh, <laughs> And I've been thinking about this a lot today. I, I posted something. I said, when the history becomes the present day, we tend to just want to run to the future. 
Yeah. You know, and there's this moment where I think that when history becomes present day, we actually need to look further back in history for what the future can be, you know, and um, that's, that's sort of what you're, what you're shining a light on. And, and I, I'm fascinated by the idea of from the oldest to the youngest having a say. Yeah. When, when you talk to young people about what's happening right now, a couple of things happen. One, they don't want to talk about this. There are other things that are more important in their world. Right. Um, Yeah. And another thing happens, which is that they don't want to talk about because they're not really sure how to talk about it. They're still developing new feelings and we're still learning new language of how to, what do we call that? You, I asked you, how are you? That was hard. I asked you, where are you feeling things in your body? That was much easier. Feeling it in my chest. I'm feeling it in my stomach. And then you were able to articulate and explain even more about like what's behind that. We're not doing a very good job at teaching young people how to figure out what they're feeling and what that feeling might be called Mm -hmm. and that there's a variety of feelings. It isn't just happy, sad, and mad. There's so many more and that, that would maybe be helpful. And the third thing um, that I'm noticing with young people is that they get it on the most basic level. Why is that person crying? Why is that person sad? Why is that person getting harm? And, and there's a lot of frustration and anger. You go, you get older in the youth. And then there's a lot of, you know, why? I, I spoke to my niece last night who is mixed race, Mexican and black. And she's 19 years old. And she could not sit still. Mm. She stood up a lot. There was a lot of pacing. There was a lot of fist banging. There was a lot of laughing to Mm. ease the pain. And finally, she just went to a place of like silence and numb. And I saw all of it in this phone conversation. And she said something that I'll never forget because I never forget when I had the first feeling myself. And she said, I hate this country. Mm. I hate this country. And she was like on the verge of tears. And that's the moment where people begin to kneel Mm. at the national anthem. When -hmm. people sit when the national anthem. When people get up and turn their backs during the national anthem. And that rage and that sadness and that disappointment um, was so clear and, and on display. Mm. I'm also really moved by the idea that this is a council of elders, but that the youngest get a say. Because mm-hmm. when I think about a council of elders, I'm scared. Because when <laughs> yeah. I think about when I think about our upcoming presidential <laughs> election, right. the council of elders is what we have right now. Her name is Nancy Pelosi. Um, His name is Joe Biden, uh, Schumacher. I mean, you can go on and on. And there's definitely a place for the wisdom of elders. Mm -hmm. But there's already wisdom in our youth about the kind of world they want to live in. Yeah. Um, Why do you think that we are not seeing the same kind of public community response to the police in Kentucky with Brianna's murder, like we are in Minnesota. Is it the absence of a video? Well, we are actually. (laughs) Um, As of last night, there were uh, massive protests in downtown Louisville um, near the Metro Police Department. Um, I am hearing that those are going to continue throughout the weekend. Um, I heard people were shot. Yes, seven people were shot, and it's, I, I don't know, I have not seen any uh, clear reports about who they, who the people were who were shot and who the people were with the guns. Um, the news reports last night said that the police department uh, noted and communicated that none of the shots came from their weapons. 
Yeah. Meaning what? Exactly. <laughs> Meaning what? Um, and how, how much trust can we put in that information? Um, that's my first question. <laughs> um, yeah. So, so, I, so that public outrage is spilling out onto the streets. Um, as, as we speak, uh, probably, um, I think people, I guess I meant, why is the coverage different? Oh, the coverage. Well, that's, yeah. that's a whole other story. <laughs> um, yeah, I think, I think that's probably part of it that there isn't, there isn't a video and, you know, we are such visual creatures now mm-hmm. that if there's no video, keep scrolling, you know, <laughs> they, I mean, they tell us this in, in communications world, professional communications world where, um, you know, if, if you have, if you don't have a video and you're going to post something, don't post it. <laughs> if you have a picture, that's better. If you have a video, make sure it's less than a minute. You know, there are all these rules about how to keep somebody's attention span now. And it always includes a visual element. Um, and so I think that's, that's definitely probably part of it. Um, I think, I think another part of it is that, I don't know. I mean, we're in this state where it's, there's always been, I mean, this is true everywhere, I guess. I shouldn't say it's just happens here, but I think these things just don't, you know, the media, (laughs) I'm trying to like articulate my thoughts, but I think the media in general and especially big media um, just doesn't, care about these kinds of issues they care about what is easy um they care about sound bites uh they care about um trump these days i mean we hear endless ad nauseum coverage of trump and his tweets and his press conferences but we don't get a lot of the complexity of stories that really they should be talking about i think i think big capital m media is contributing to these issues of divisiveness and um, these issues of communities not understanding one another in very significant ways. There isn't, there aren't a lot of local media outlets anymore. The ones that still exist are being bought up um, right now as we speak by big media conglomerates that are not in this state and that are not in these communities. Um, if, if they keep so. strategically, strategically so. so definitely they know what yeah. they can then do exactly and mostly what they then do is close those newspapers and close those media outlets just shutter the doors so that there is this media vacuum and and it's a real problem it's just a real problem it, it creates um this real hole this real black hole of accountability of community care of understanding and of people really getting outside of their own experience uh, and seeing the world from lots of different angles instead of just this very narrow focus that they get from their social media feeds and from their community and their church and, you know, the people that they surround themselves with. It's just a, it's a real problem. And I just think, I think it's one of the things that is fundamental uh, if we are to have any kind of future that's built upon justice and built upon, um, uh, this this bright future that we talk about all the time in this in nonprofit world of you know seeking justice and equity and inclusion and all these things we can't have it if our media is actively working against us and telling these stories in such a way that works against us if we're not if we're only hearing black stories when a black man or a black woman is murdered that's not okay that's not the only time that we should hear stories about the black community and about people from the black community. That's, that's just not okay. And, and, and that's a problem of uh, media. It really is. And, and, and this idea that they have to um, maintain this um, uh, extreme notion of objectivity that just only serves the people who are already in power and the people who are pulling those levers of power. It doesn't serve the people on the ground and the communities on the ground. That to me is a real problem. So there's a couple of things that that you got me thinking about. 
we're talking about, do you need the police? We have what we need. We can take care of ourselves. And then the conversation about the media is part of the problem. It's helpful and useful when we have individuals using their cell phones and we have individuals capturing then the harm being done to them, or there's that bystander, that brave bystander who captures the image for you and shares that. And I say brave because people have gone to jail. People are currently serving time for capturing these videos. Um, and so there's this push-pull about like individuals can do it. We have what we need. Local community can take care of itself. We don't need these institutional uh, police forces that are highly militarized. We don't need this huge big media that only works for those who are the property owners and then become the media narrative owners. Um, we can do this ourselves. And then you get to the moment of Twitter, individuals sharing, making news, and Twitter starting to talk about, we're going to be fact-checking now your individual news. And this frustrates the president as he is one of the initial individuals who has one of his tweets, his posts, marked as having false information. And he then creates an executive order um, to basically say that social media outlets are not allowed to um, restrict speech. They're private institutions, but okay. Um, and I'm wondering, what do you think about that? Like, what is that push-pull conflict challenge moment of the state versus the individual? Because we're going in circles here and I'm not really sure which merry-go-round to get on. The one that <laughs> says, the one that says big government's good, <laughs> big communities good, the whole is good or that it's the individual and 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 if we go to individual bootstrap mentality and states rights then i i know that i'm in the wrong place but i do i do understand the idea of disintermediation and getting rid of the middleman and having a direct access to information there has always been though that call um, when it really began that there was going to be a challenge to big earned media outlets and people started blogging and social media took off and people were telling their own stories and you would have journalists like yourself, I'm not saying you were one, but you're a journalist, would say, you don't have the training that we have to vet the story and have named sources to back up our story. So which is it? Where are we supposed to be? What 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 exactly are the sides here? Yeah, that's the, that's the ultimate question of everything. Um, I mean, so I think in terms of media, I I definitely do not advocate for um, abolishing media. I think mm -hmm. what I would prefer is that the people who are becoming journalists, the big outlets like an NPR, like a CNN, um, even a Fox News, if we want to <laughs> include them in, in this. Um, I think what I would advocate for is that they, um, they just do the work of being complex. Uh, you know, I've been really frustrated with NPR recently and the few times that I've listened to them, some which of the things the that I'm, radio. which is the public, public radio. radio, right, exactly. But some of the ways that they have characterized this, um, mm. the stories around the coronavirus, for instance, I'm just like, what are you, why did you say that? Mm -hmm. <laughs> it wouldn't, it wouldn't have hurt them at all to say it in a different way. Like what? You know? Do you remember? I don't remember exactly what it was. It was something about race. Mm. Um, I think it was around, they, they were talking about a study that they had been a part of talking about how, um, 
communities of color were having higher instances of coronavirus deaths and, and things like that. And there was some way that they said something about that, that was putting the onus on the community members themselves mm -hmm. that I was just like, you didn't even, that wasn't even necessary to this report. <laughs> you mm -hmm. didn't even have to say that. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times I get frustrated, not just with them, but with others too. And, and this is like across the board, you know, newspapers, TV, what, what have you, I get frustrated that they don't, they don't take the time to make the systemic link, you know, to say that like, um, there's a reason why people in um, chicken processing plants who are largely immigrants mm -hmm. um, of color from mm -hmm. South Central America, Mexico, mm -hmm. um, there's a reason why they, they are in that place to begin with. Um, and there's a reason why the working conditions are so poor. There's a reason why they are facing these in these high all those things are connected and all of those things are connected and mm -hmm. I, I get very frustrated that they don't draw those connections for people because people are not going to make those connections for themselves they're not going to take the time to think why why is that most people won't do that but the <laughs> expectation is that we should right so yeah exactly this all the time that what we really need to do as educators is to get people to be able to analyze the world around them and to look for, well, who's the source of this article? Oh, this, yeah. this magazine <laughs> tends to be conservative or, or let me, who is this reporter? What's their name? Let me see if I can find out their political, you know, affiliations, right? Like, and then again, what we're then saying and educating and teaching people is that the onus is on the individual to right. fact check and to do all the work to make sure that what you're hearing is correct, right? The filter, the onus is on us as individuals. Exactly. There is no accountability for the larger system or institution. The accountability is on the individual. Well, you know, there was a label. There was a warning. You chose to do that, right? Exactly. And the same thing then happens with these masks where, well, I hear if you wear one, that's why I don't have to wear one. What? Right? Like exactly. this, this whole thing where like, well, if you're wearing your mask, I don't need to wear mine. And it's like, no, 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 no. That's not how it works. And yet having the individual ability to put on a mask to protect myself, the individual ability to learn, know, be taught, continue to learn how to interpret, analyze, critique, think about the stories that I'm reading, hearing, or reading is also, I'm super thankful for that, that I have the privilege to have been taught and have access to tools that allow me the privilege of being able to figure out right from wrong when I hear a particular story, but it's all on the individual and, and, and it's complicated. I'm thankful that I still have individual power in some places, but it's not, it's, it's not enough. I mean, I'm going to tell you two phrases and I want to know um, what your response is to them. Um, I hear them a lot in conversations with some of my family members who mm. are incredibly conservative. I'm the sure phrase, I do too. <laughs> <laughs> so the phrases that you may be very familiar with include freedom isn't free. <laughs> it's my favorite. To which today when I was exercising, I thought to myself, I'm going to make a t-shirt that says freedom and then just strike out the word dumb because I don't want to be dumb. Anyways, <laughs> um, so freedom isn't free. And well, my rights end where yours begin. <laughs> what? Wow. And, and I literally, I literally had a conversation with a family member where they told me, because I asked what does my rights end where yours begin mean? Mm. And they said, well, if you started saying a bunch of stuff, exercising your first amendment right, and I took out my gun, exercising my second amendment right, and I shot you, I would lose my right. I was like, wait, <laughs> wait, wait a minute, I'm sorry, wait, you shot me? Why are you shooting me? Why is your example that you shoot me? By the way, A, when that would happen, you would depending on the state, 
keep your gun that have nothing to do with you losing right. your amendment, right? And two, um, you'd probably go to prison for killing me because murder is actually what we're talking about here. And you would lose your right to vote. And P.S. I would be against that. I would be against <laughs> you losing your right to vote, right? So what is your response to these things? And do you hear them as well? Yeah, I definitely hear the first one a lot. Freedom isn't free. You hear that one a ton. And especially this past weekend, Memorial Day. I mean, my oh, feed yeah. is full of it, you know. <laughs> um, the second phrase, I don't hear as much, but I, I sort of feel like I hear variations of that, you know, the sense that like, if, if you have basic equality and basic rights, then it takes something away from me as an individual. Um, I think it's all a function of the systems, right? And how they have made everything about the individual. You know, if you don't pull yourselves up by your bootstraps and build a life for yourself, then you are just lazy. Um, if you, uh, if you can't get a good education, then you're dumb. If you, you know, it's like, it's this whole, it's this whole narrative in this country of individualism that really has come from for generations now from the very founding actually of this country and before uh, the powerful, the rich and powerful who were holding, uh, pulling those levers of power and controlling that power, telling the people underneath them who didn't have as much power or money or influence that it was all about individuals and what you could do as a, as an individual person. And, you know, you, this, this set of people, you people who are white, who are also cash poor are better than these people who are black and enslaved um, or, or not enslaved, but black people um, because you're white, you know, like that's the narrative that this country is founded on. And I think that partly, I mean, there are a lot of different narratives, but that's the, one of the major ones. Um, <clears throat> and I think this idea that it's all about individuals rather than a community of people trying to take care of each other, that is just, it's insidious. And it is just, it, it leaks into every part of our lives and tells us that, you know, tells, tells certain people that putting a mask on is oppression <laughs> when it's like the furthest thing from, you know. I, yeah, I don't know. I just think it's, it blows my mind. I was talking to my mom recently about a couple of my cousins who are very conservative, um, Trump supporters, uh, you know, telling, telling people on Facebook all day, every day about how this is Obama's fault and on and on and on, you know, that, that same old narrative mm -hmm. that will probably never die. Mm -hmm. Um, and I was saying, like, these people come from the same place that I come from. They come from the same family that I come from. I know their mothers. I know their fathers and their aunts and uncles and their cousins. They, I know who they come from. I know what they were taught as children. What happened? <laughs> what happened to these people? You know, that they, they have such a different view of things. And I don't know. I mean, you know, our, we didn't know. We couldn't come up with a reason. You know, the only reason we could come up with was the community that they've surrounded themselves with, which is people who think and act and look and dress and do exactly like they do. There's no diversity of thought. There's no, um, and even when people try to provide that diversity of thought, it's just completely shut down. You know, they, they're so a part of this narrative that they're being oppressed and their rats are being taken away. Um, it's and just the way I see it, you know, um, equity, equality, freedom. You feel like you don't have it. No problem. We'll make more. Like yeah. there's this idea that there's like a limit. If, yeah. If, if we're talking about freedom, guess what? It's endless. It's, yeah. it's inherent in what it is. If we're talking about equity and equality, well, how many of us are there? Well, that's what we're talking about. Oh, well, there's yeah. more of us now? Well, then it's bigger than us now. You know, mm -hmm. like I basically see freedom, equity, and equality like pants that have an elastic waist. <laughs> they have give. They will, they will, they will work with you. Or it's like right. Lee. It's water. It's just water. It can take <laughs> all kinds of shapes. It can shape, yeah. it, it could get into whatever form is needed for the time. And 
we, we believe that some of these things that we then hold so dearly on a national level are static, that they are not dynamic. Mm-hmm. And they are dynamic. That's why we keep pulling for them and why it keeps stretching towards more people because it is in fact dynamic and capable of, of contracting and expanding. Yeah. So my friend, you didn't answer my first question. <laughs> I'm going to ask it again. Now, considering what we've talked about, which is if in 2040, in 20 years, they make, uh, let's, I'm just going to give you something. They make a book. And when I say they, maybe it's you, maybe <laughs> you write your own book about this time period and you, your family and all its extended complexities are a part of it. If you want it to be, what is, what is the name of this book and what's on the cover? I think maybe the name is some version of cycles of frustration. (laughs) Um, Mm -hmm. You know, if I'm thinking about what I'm experiencing, what my family's experiencing, what we're experiencing here in Kentucky, that's what I feel cycles of frustration. Um, And I think that cover looks like that. (laughs) Um, You know, maybe it's a picture of me just completely exasperated or, um, Two, two sides of a family who are sort of going at each other and, and trying to like pull each other to the other side, but we're not willing to move um, at all in one way or the other. Um, that's sort of what I'm, that's what I'm feeling. And that's what I'm seeing happening right now in Kentucky and with my family, but also just more broadly in general. Yeah. I mean, when you said that I got a visual of like a great big wheel and there's mm. a wheel that's, you know, taller than a person's body. And there's two people trying to turn it on two sides of it. And they're going yeah. in different directions. That's perfect. You know? And uh, I, when I spoke to this family member, it's my sister. When I spoke to my <laughs> oldest sister and uh, she told me that freedom wasn't free. And I said, you know, I didn't yeah. need anybody to go fight in, in Iraq or Afghanistan so that I could marry my wife. Cause that's not how I got that. Um, and, um, you know, as I was talking to her, it's recent and new that I started talking to my sister, who is a conservative and a Trump supporter. I stopped talking to her after the election, um, and Trump won, um, Mm. and I wasn't able to convince her not to vote for him. So I, I vowed to not speak to her, um, for self-preservation and recently I needed her. Uh, Mm. in the family and as a person in my life. So we started talking again and we talk politics and I find myself raising my voice sometimes and I have to bring it down and I hear her out and I challenge her and this recent conversation, she kind of got stumped at Mm. my pushback of freedom isn't free and um, I was like, why would you give an example where you shoot me because I say something? Okay. And Um, In that conversation, I thought to myself, this is why I'm doing this. She doesn't hear anything different. And neither do I. I don't hear freedom isn't free. Because I surround myself with people who don't say that. Mm -hmm. And she surrounds herself with people who don't say actually it is, and it should be it's messy. Um, But it is. And she needs to hear something different. You know, if you surround your house with mirrors instead of windows, you begin to believe that you're the only person who lives in that house. Mm-hmm. And I, I needed to be able to give her a window. And I think I needed a window myself. So thank you for giving us a window, uh, Ivy, into Kentucky um, and to what's happening there. I uh, am very sad at the idea of people being shot and um, not knowing and only having suspicions about who shot them. Um, I wish you well and safety and uh, good health, your whole family. Um, 
I look forward to talking to you again when perhaps um, things are better, easier, and we are back in the sort of country kitchen, just making more freedom and cooking up more equity and equality um, <laughs> and just passing it out, just passing it out, expecting nothing back in return. Um, yeah. And, um, and I, I, I hope we do get to read that book because I think cycles of frustration um, sounds, sounds pretty apropos to explain the moment <laughs> and the time that we are in. So uh, thank you for listening to Been There, Done That. I'm your host, Felicia Perez. Stay well and stay human.